it started out so innocent, right? I was just going to get a little laugh from a friend. And it was the setup for my most embarrassing moment. You know those... I don't know, questions that we have, those icebreaker questions. This is the one I always answer to the most embarrassing moment. I was shoe shopping with a girlfriend. I mean, actually out to buy shoes, not just perusing. We were actually trying to buy shoes. And um, I saw something that just, you know, made me laugh. I thought it was hilarious, especially for the pastor's wife. I saw the perfect shoe that I was going to try on and strut through the store with my girlfriend, and they were six-inch, black, stiletto heels with a cheetah print. Okay? And I thought, I am hot stuff, and I'm just going to sneak up on her, right? Well... You know how it is. The shoes that you have are kind of worn and, you know, they're used to your foot. And they kind of slide off your foot pretty easy. Uh, But, well, you might be more talented than I, but usually I have to sit down to actually put a new shoe on, especially when my hot, sweaty, swollen foot (laughs) is trying to go into a really narrow black cheetah print pump (laughs) with six-inch heels. So I decided I was going to have to sit down. I kind of got, you know, one of them on, right? You know, that there is no way I'm going to be able to stand up on that heel and put the other one on. So I thought, I'm going to sit down. Ha! There's a table right here. (laughs) Well, at least I thought it was a table. (laughs) It was one of those big round tables. I mean, it looked perfectly sturdy to me. But what I discovered once I put my backside on it was that it was a table top. And it was a table top set on stacks and stacks of shoe boxes. And then the top of the table top was, of course, piled high with a whole bunch more shoe boxes. <laughs> Might as well sit on it, right? Well, you know what happened. I had the one shoe on, I was trying to get the other shoe on, and I sat on the round table, which of course went flip, and every shoe box was like three feet in the air. It was like a rainbow of shoe boxes. And of course, everyone, you know, their neck just, right? And their mouth goes, right? And here's the pastor's wife. I've got one stiletto in my hand and one on my foot. Yeah. That was not the kind of attention I was hoping to get that day. But that, that is how it is sometimes. Sometimes we get noticed for doing the stupidest things. Or even, dare we say it, the flat out wrong things. But that is not the kind of attention that God wants us to seek. It's not the kind of attention he's hoping that we will have after we master something like Proverbs 31. He wants us to get attention for what is good, what is right, and what is honorable. And there are examples like that in our world. One of them um, is on a professional football team. Now, professional football teams, if you know anything about them, you know that some of the players get all the glory and recognition and credit. 
Those are the players like the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and the tight ends, because, and the running backs, sorry. They're the guys who all the plays are happening with them. Right? When everybody's face is on the screen, they're watching those guys make these spectacular plays. But there are lots of men on that field that do very important jobs that are never noticed. But without them, the jobs could not be done. And in fact, without this one particular line of men, the offensive linemen, the quarterback, the wide receivers, they would never be able to do anything without the group of men that stand at the line, the offensive linemen. They're largely unseen, and they do very unspectacular work. But without them, the team could not succeed. Well, that's why it's always good when those kind of people get the recognition they deserve. And it happened last year in one particularly dramatic way, because the Cleveland Browns, in the third quarter, at one point, a man named Joe Thomas, who was an offensive uh, tackle, actually. In the third quarter, he got injured. And all of, when he got injured and walked off the field, all of the stands filled with people stood up. And they gave him a standing ovation as he walked off the field and, you know, got his injury attended to. The reason why is because from the time he had been drafted in 2007, this was last year, so for a decade, that one man had been responsible for every single snap. Now, if you don't know what a snap is, a snap is when, and I'm not going to stick my butt in your face, so you're going to have to envision it like this, but when the ball is on the ground, the guy who has the ball and he hands it to the quarterback, this right here, that's a snap. The guy who did that, okay, he had been doing it for every single play that the Cleveland Browns had done since he was drafted in 2007. For 10 straight years, every single snap was done by Joe Thomas. That was 10,363 plays in a row. The play started because Joe Thomas started the play. Wow. He's not a flashy guy. In fact, he's a humble guy. He's a consistent guy. He's a quiet guy. But he played a huge part in what happened on that team because he played for the good of the team. When he was asked about his streak of over 10,000 plays without a miss, he said, something I found comfort in is just do your job. He said, I know so many people who get up and go to work every day and they don't complain. And I'm blessed to get to do what I love. He said, I just hope it means I'm a regular guy who gets up every day and goes to work, who does my job and who plays as hard as I can and is a good teammate. I hope that's what people say about me. Wow. I want to be Joe Thomas, who just faithfully does the job for 10,363 plays without fail. Not once had he missed one of their snaps. You got to love him. He's a guy who got up and went to work. At the right time, after years of faithfulness, this guy got the credit he deserved. But not before that, but after he had done all of that. He didn't go out seeking the credit, but he got the credit because of a lifetime of doing the right thing on that football field, week after week after week. Joe reminds me of the Proverbs 31 woman who just does her job day after day after day. She does a mundane tasks with excellence. She does her job without fanfare. 
for the days and weeks and months and years of her life. And eventually, she will deserve the credit that she deserves. Eventually. It won't happen every week. It won't happen every year. I hope it happens in a decade, but, you know, we get some kind of thanks for it in a decade. But it's something that happens after she's laid down a pattern of faithfulness. Today we're going to wrap up our study of Proverbs 31, and if you're not there, you should get there. We've looked at all the tasks she's done and all the qualities she possesses, and now we're going to look at the rewards that she can expect to receive after she's spent her life doing what God tells her to do, and specifically how she's going to get people's attention the right way and get noticed the right way. We're going to have only two big takeaways. I know you cannot believe that from me. There's only two points. But if you look at your notebooks, you'll see you've had plenty of points this weekend. I think (laughs) Stephanie and I just threw the points at you. So there's only two today. And the first is point number one. You need to value the right kind of attention. Value the right kind of attention. Because there, of course, is a wrong way and a right way to get people's praise and attention. If we're out trying to be the Proverbs 31 woman, we know we need to have the right values. We talked about that on Friday. The right work ethic. We talked about that yesterday. And the right investments. We talked about that last night. Now we want to get the right kind of attention. Okay? So let's read the passage. We're going to do 28 to 31 today. Starting in 28, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Okay, let's talk about the elements of the passage first. A woman who has the qualities we've discussed is obvious. She's obvious. She has this good reputation in her home and out of her home. Everybody knows it. But let's consider how challenging this first verse really is. Because the people who are praising her are the people who really know her. They really know her. That's her husbands, their kids, their roommates, the people that are living with you day in and day out. They are the one who knows what she's like when her guard is down. And when she is who she really is not who she dresses herself up to be when she walks out the door. And that fact alone, the fact that it's the insiders that are, that are giving her this praise is the thing that's most impressive about this to me. I mean, it's one thing if you and I rub shoulders here at retreat or at church and you say, good job, and I say, good job, way to be a Proverbs 31 woman, way to be a Proverbs 31 woman as we pass each other. That's one thing, but these are the people who see her when she hasn't had her morning cup of coffee. When she's battling PMS, when she has frankly been neglecting her quiet time for some time, when she is physically and emotionally drained from whatever the challenges that God has her in that time. And these are the insiders who are standing up to praise her. Wow! That means she's been living a life consistent that hour after hour, not just when she's outside, but hour after hour she's seeking to live these principles. That is impressive. I mean, she's my hero, right? She shouldn't just be that woman. She should be our hero 
because of what is said about her. She is truly living a life that's worthy of our attention. Verse 29 says she's excellent. That is the same word that Stephanie has been so graciously uh, defining for us. It's the same word in verse 10 of that valiant, brilliant military leader, that strong, valiant warrior kind of word. But I want you to let you know that there's another place that that word was used, and it was used in the book of Ruth. Boaz actually calls Ruth this word. We looked yesterday at, I skimmed you through chapter one, how she was loyal and faithful to Naomi. We looked at chapter two, how she was diligent. But in chapter three of this amazing book, that's just this little almost love story of how she and Boaz come to be. In verse 11 of Ruth three, Boaz says to Ruth, I want to take you as my wife, he says, because all the townspeople know that you are a worthy or excellent woman. That is the word, and that's why he picks her. She's the poster child for Proverbs 31, just like we said yesterday. But in verse 29, P31 is even better than that. In the multitude of excellent women, her husband says she's even better than that because he uses these three words. He says, you surpass them all. You're even better than that valiant, wonderful, amazing Proverbs 31 woman. You are better than she is. You're the cream of the crop, the top of the top. Wow. That's the person who knows her best on the planet, and he's saying that about her. It's the kind of attention we should all want to get from the insiders in our lives, that they would say that and mean that with all of their heart, that we surpass them all. Wow. I want that. I want that. Well, verse 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Well, charm is what I think of when I think of a person who's the uh, consummate hostess. She's the one that you show up at her house and you just, you feel like a, a queen, right? She's thought of everything. She's made this amazing thing. Everything, everyone, she is wonderful. In fact, charm actually means to be, to please people. That's what charm is. Being a person who pleases others and is so good at it. And charm can be great, but it says here that it's deceitful. In other words, it's it is misleading. It is dishonest. And the reason that is the case is because it is also the word used not just to describe a great hostess, but to describe a con artist and a car salesman. <laughs> Someone who tells you exactly what you want to hear to get you to do what they want you to do. That's this word, and that's why it can be duplicitous, misleading, and dishonest. It can be good, it can be bad. But that's why it said here, charm is deceitful. It's a mask that promises something that it never really delivers. Well, the next descriptor in Proverbs 31 is the word beauty, right? Who didn't want to be beautiful? We all want to be beautiful, right? The trouble is it says beauty is vain or it's empty, right? It's just empty. And there's a few reasons why it's empty. 
one, I assume it's obvious, we're, you know, uh, it's so relative, right? <laughs> what we think today is beautiful isn't beautiful at other time periods. What we think is beautiful in our culture is not beautiful in other cultures. I mean, just look at the various generations. You know, if you're a baby boomer, you're not looking at the Gen Zs and going, wow, I really like that look that you've got going. <laughs> And frankly, neither are the Gen Zs saying to the baby boomers, I love your look. That is so beautiful, right? There's not, you know, every culture, every even generation has its own thought of what is beautiful, right? It's relative, okay? So even a beautiful woman, which I think we would all agree, Marilyn Monroe, she would be considered a plus-size model today. You realize that. But in her culture, she was gorgeous, now, another reason why beauty is uh, not great, uh, is vain and empty, is because it's so fleeting, right? It's because, you know, by our 30th birthday, whatever beauty we did possess is now receding in the rearview mirror <laughs> at a very rapid pace. <laughs> whatever we thought was hot is no longer hot. <laughs> um, or it's declining, shall we say. Some of you 30-year-olds, you look hot. All right. And there are many of you here, and I knew there would be because Janine faithfully gave me the stats on this, many of you here who still have that youthful glow to your cheek. You still have that elasticity. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> and it's awesome. And we're so excited for you, really. to be the one to break it to you, but it's not going to last. <laughs> so just enjoy it while you have it. It's not going to last. I mean, and all we have to do, I mean, not, not like this illustration is even necessary. You're all there. But um, all you have to do is crack open your grandparents' wedding album. Think about it. There is that stunning woman with her gorgeous shining hair and her beautiful teeth and her rosy cheeks and her wonderful arms and her lean, perfect body. And there's that man standing next to her. He's muscular, he's tall, he's got a full head of hair. <laughs> he's strong and lean. And you think, time. <laughs> time erodes us all right? It's fleeting. I don't care how much money you spend on beauty products or how many procedures you have. It's going to happen to everybody. And it has happened to everybody. Think of the last time you watched Gone with the Wind. And you saw Vivian Lee. Beautiful. Stunning. If you haven't, I guess you need to go watch it. Okay, Julia Roberts, right? Natalie Portman, even Emma Stone will someday have time erode her just like it did all the rest of us. Um, it's not going to last. But the thing is, we need to be into beauty that's more than skin deep. The world is into that kind of beauty, and it is fleeting because it's only here for a while, but there is beauty that is not just skin deep. Well, we know there are plenty of women out there that are using their charm and their beauty to get the attention they want. Plenty of women out there. Our counterparts in the world, they use skimpy, tight clothes. They use tanned and toned bodies. They use beautiful jewelry and flashy cars and homes to get the attention they want, or worse yet, they give their bodies to men. 
They shun marriage. They're the life of the party just to get the attention that they want. And of course, we all say, well, that's, that's the wrong way to get people's approval. But we may not do that. But we do try to get people's attention in much more subtle and much more spiritual ways, even as Christian women. We're seeking get attention the wrong way. We do it by parading our righteousness out there for others to see. It's one of the things Jesus tells the Pharisees not to do. Do not do your righteous deeds before others to be seen by them. We do it by continually talking about ourselves all the time. We do it by pointing out our own godliness, our own generosity, how tired we are from serving so much of the church, what a wonderful prayer life we have. And in much more subtle ways, we're trying to get attention just like our worldly counterparts. That is not the way we Christians which should be trying to garner attention. P31 has a different way. She's got a different task and a different path for us. Let's read it again. Verse 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Charm is like fake news, promising things it doesn't deliver, and beauty is going to slip through your fingers, okay? But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, right? It's a woman who fears the Lord, a woman who is in awe of him, a woman who is, frankly, afraid of him. That's a good thing. Be afraid of the Lord. We all should be in awe of him and afraid of him at the same time. That's the woman that's going to get the praise and recognition that she deserves one day and she so greatly desires. A woman who pleases the Lord is not going to be going after the perfect body, the perfect home, the perfect family like everyone else does. A woman who pleases God is going to put him first, going to submit her life to him, even the hard things in Proverbs 31. She's going to willingly put herself under that and do it. No matter what's hardest one on your list from this weekend, a woman who fears the Lord is going to take that task on. Even that one. Because she's going to live for him, obey him, submit to him, no matter what anybody else thinks, no matter what anybody else does. Because she's a woman who fears the Lord. And she um, is promised that she will get praise from him. So I guess the most important question is for every person is the, the room is, do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? Is he your first love? Do you love him more than you love your kids, your husband, your job, your friends? Do you love him more than you love yourself? Is he the king of your life? Is he the boss of your schedule? Even your sleep schedule? Of your quiet time? of the decisions you make, of the relationships you have, of the friends you spend time with, of the words that come out of your mouth. Is he the boss of all those things? Because a woman who fears the Lord, that's, he's the boss of all of that. And it's the only way that you're really going to get the kind of recognition and praise and credit that your heart longs for. Because all the other attention is very shallow. Even if you get it, it's not for something that's important. It's not for something that will last. But this recognition and credit will last but, of course, there's a much greater reason that we need to fear the Lord, and that is we got a really big, fat problem called sin, right? <laughs> and that big, fat problem has got an insurmountable separation between us and God if we don't take care of that problem of sin. So if there are some here who have never taken care of that sin problem, there's a big separation between you and a holy God. And you need to fix that this weekend. 
You need to take your account of sin and slide it over to Jesus's because either you're going to pay for your sin or he's going to pay for it. There is no other option. And he paid for it on the cross, but all you have to do is take it. Take the forgiveness he freely offers you and then follow after him. And there are at least 100 women, if not 285 women in this room who could help you do that. Any person who stood up on this retreat team could help you. If you don't fear the Lord like that, you need to. It's the most important thing you could do this weekend. Women like that will get praised one day. Well, for those of you, though, who are real Christians in this room, when the, when the mirror tells you you're older, or you have more birthday candles on your cake than you care to admit, <laughs> don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. Because hopefully you're becoming more and more beautiful in the eyes of the one who really matters. Every season that passes and every mile that you go. Because a woman who fears the Lord only gets more beautiful. No matter how many wrinkles or creepy skin patches they have to deal with in their life. (laughs) Because a woman who fears the Lord is more stunning to her heavenly father every season that passes. A woman who fears the Lord is more stunning to her heavenly father every season that passes. But for those of you who happen to have the privilege of being married to a brother in Christ, and there are many of you in this room, but not everyone in this room has that privilege. As you learn to fear the Lord, you become more beautiful to him. To God and to him. It's a win-win. A man who fears the Lord loves a woman who fears the Lord. So don't get cut up in the miles you traveled, okay? Your brother in Christ and your God, they don't care. All they care is about, are you learning to fear the Lord and obey him in your heart year after year after year? But speaking of that, I have to do a sidebar, sorry. Stephanie did it last night, but I'm going to say it again, and that is a lot of women complain about this passage because they say, I would be a more excellent wife if I had a more excellent husband. Um, Well, or they say, I would be a more excellent wife if I had a husband. (laughs) Both of them are wrong. We're not an excellent wife or an excellent woman because of a man. We're excellent wife or an excellent woman because of God. This is his list. It's not a man's list. It's his list. So we seek to be an excellent woman slash wife slash mom slash whatever because he says this is what we do. It's his list. We need to get busy. I'm going to ask you to turn to only one passage today, but I would like you to look at it. It's in Jeremiah 17. It was in our DBR last week. So good. Ooh, so good. Jeremiah 17. And this is for encouragement for those who think you have a less than excellent husband or excellent, less than excellent situation or frankly, you don't have a husband yet at this stage of your life because you need to keep doing Proverbs 31 regardless of your situation. And here's your encouragement. We need to be hanging on to verses like Jeremiah 17, 7, and 8. Jeremiah 17 and 78, it's really important to actually see the Bible with your own eyes, okay? So see if you can get there. We need to stop complaining. We need to stop giving excuses why we won't do this, and we need to trust God and just get to it, okay? Sorry, tough love. Jeremiah 17, (laughs) 7 says, Blessed is the man or woman 
who trusts in the Lord. Blessed, happy, satisfied, at peace. Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Hey, let's, that's so good. Let's say it not once. Let's say it twice. Who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. It sends out its roots by the stream. Picture a tree. It doesn't even have to be right next to the stream. It could be a ways away because you know what roots do. If you have trees in your yard, you know what roots do, right? They travel, right? And they go to the water source. doesn't even have to be next to the water source. But there's a tree and there's some roots, okay? The tree sends out its roots by the stream. And because it has the water source, it doesn't fear when heat comes. That root brings it to the water source. Its leaves will still remain green. It'll still be healthy and strong even when it's hot out, okay? Because of the water source. It's not anxious in a year of drought, even if there's no water for a long time. The roots give it, take it to the water source. And it does not cease to bear fruit. Even in times of trial, it continues to bear fruit. Why? Because of the water source. What is our water source? Trust in the Lord. Ladies, the reason you can do Proverbs 31 is because your water source is named Jesus. That's why you can do it. Your water source is the Lord. You can stand there no matter, no matter what kind of heat, drought, or whatever anxiety you have from your husband or lack thereof. You can still do this. Okay? Even, even if our husbands are less than they should be. Trust God and obey him and you will be blessed. And frankly, you're going to be blessed even on days when you don't do this perfectly. Because huh. it's not just your husband that's imperfect. You're imperfect. You're not going to be able to do everything in Proverbs 31 perfectly every single time. And there would be no need for the gospel, ladies, if we could do this without help. You realize the gospel is good news because we missed the mark, <laughs> because we need forgiveness. And there's forgiveness available when you miss the mark here too. Just remember what the gospel's for. It's for forgiveness. Go to him when you don't quite get it all right. Well, a woman who fears the Lord will be praised and she'll get the good attention. So we need to be busy while we're here, what I like to call working for the well done. Working for the well done. And for those of you who uh, don't know, the well done is a little phrase that comes in Matthew 25. And I'm not going to have you turn there today, but it is in your quiet time questions. It's that story that Jesus tells about a guy who goes on a journey. And before he goes on the journey, he brings all of his employees and he gives them something. He actually gives them money. It's talents in that. But it's actually silver. It's money. But this lesson is not just about money. It's about whatever the master gave when he went away, which of course we know is the Lord. He goes away, but he entrusts those left behind, us, with stuff. Stuff that we're supposed to do something with. Okay? He wants us to do something with our money, our time, our intelligence, our giftedness, our influence, even our relationships. Every day we have a chance to make a difference because of what God has given us and says, invest with what I gave you. Now, those who do that, those who invest what God has given them in this life into something good, get the well done, good and faithful servant, when he comes back. And they get the hearty welcome. I imagine, you know, a big hug as we're walking in to the new Jerusalem. But um, those who squander the opportunities and the things that God gave them, that passage teaches us, 
not only will they not receive the commendation of the well done, but many of them will be barred from his kingdom altogether. And only he decides. He decides that. We don't. Ladies, we need to be doing Proverbs 31 so we can earn the well done. It's a gift, it's a responsibility, it's something that God wants us to take seriously. Now, of course, God wants us to take P31 seriously because it's good and great and all that, and because he's dangling a carrot out in front of us. Praise, praise, you're gonna get recognition, you're gonna get credit someday, praise, praise, praise. But he's not against pulling the carrot back and using the stick instead. Um, He's a good father. And he motivates us with both. This passage is all about the carrot. You will get praise. You will get rewarded. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But there's a lot of sticks in the book of Proverbs. And I want to remind you of a couple of them. If you choose to disregard this when you actually get home, these are the kinds of things God says will happen. And they're not good. These are some warnings in the book of Proverbs for those who don't do Proverbs 31. Proverbs 12.4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Oh, how horrifying that that would ever be said of us. Anybody in this room, I don't want to be rottenness to my husband, even if he's not a great guy, which mine is, just to be clear. (laughs) But no question about that, but I want you to know that. Okay. Another one, another stick we find in Proverbs has to do with our parenting. If you don't take Proverbs 31 seriously, Proverbs 29.15 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Okay, in other words, correcting, directing your children, it gives them wisdom. But a child who is left to himself brings shame to his mother. Picture the last time you were in the checkout line at the grocery store. You ever seen a woman standing there who does not take her God-given responsibility of the rod and reproof to heart and her children are ashamed to her? We don't want that, ladies. And we also don't want the biggie, the big umbrella, Proverbs 14.1, that stick, Proverbs 14.1, that says that you could be the woman who foolishly tear downs her house with her own hands. God wants you to do this, and he wants to give you praise, but he wants to remind you that he'll do it another way if he has to in your life. You now have been given a responsibility for this text. He'll get you to do it if you're his kid, and you're truly his kid. He'll get you to do it either way. And frankly, I mean, I meddled in your quiet time. I meddled in your sleep schedule. I meddled in your vacations. Now I'm going to meddle in your parenting. Because I have to. It's right here. If you're raising sons, how many of you are raising sons? Great. If you are raising sons, you need to take Proverbs 31 seriously. You need to help your sons to pick a woman like this. You need to use your influence in his life to help him to see a woman like this as a valuable and as something he should go after. And you do not hold him back from going after her, mom. (laughs) Even though, frankly, 
just be real, she's going to cut you out of the deal. You moms of girls, you don't get that. The moms of boys in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because some other woman is going to be the person that your son listens to and looks to, and for a long time it was you. You know what? You want her to be this. You want her to be this. And this starts really early in his life. I know you think this starts on his high school or whatever. No. This starts when he's in elementary school. Hey, frankly, it starts right there with the little one. Because we need to talk up those girls, those girls that live honorably, that are his peers, from the time they are little girls. And you need to help him to admire the girls. Well, and frankly, let's even go back. You need to stop squashing his desire to like girls. Do you realize what heartache you're bringing on yourself if you're saying, don't like girls? <laughs> it's horrifying, really. It's not even funny. It's really horrifying. They should be liking them young, and they should be liking them a lot. And you should be the voice in their head helping them like those Proverbs 31 girls. How do we know who they are? They're not even saved. How could they possibly be Proverbs 31 girls? Well, because you see how they act. You see how they treat their teachers. You see how they treat their parents. You see how they treat their friends. And you talk it up with your sons. And when they like a girl that has those good values, you say, yeah, she's a good one. That's, that's, yeah. And you use the influence that you have because you have it then like you'll never have it again. You are the number one girl in his life. Use it. <laughs> you will lose it someday, so you might as well use it. <laughs> Don't stick your head in the sand and, and hope that someday when the time comes, he's going to magically pick the right person. Because he's not. Not without your help all along the way. And when he gets older, and he can actually act on the feelings that he has, you need to double down on your prayer for him. And you're talking about it. But you know, this is going to be no big deal, because you've already talked to him about it a hundred times. You know, we, we try to go, oh, talk about girls when they're 15. Oh, oh my goodness, you are way too late. You should have had that conversation a hundred times before they're 15, or 13, or 12. It should be no big deal to talk about a good girl to choose from, and another one, not that you're saying she's a bad girl, but you know, you wouldn't say that way, moms, <laughs> but you would try to guide him towards girls who honor the Lord, and don't just turn the heads of every boy at the youth group, because beauty is fleeting, and how great it is when they're the package deal, when they're beautiful on the inside and the outside. You need to help your son pick girls who love others, who are kind who work hard, who care what God thinks more than anyone else. Girls who are faithful to obey his word and who are wise and who trust in him. Talk these girls up, admire them, and pray for them. Pray that they will one day be your daughters-in-law, as I have been so fortunate to have. Prepare your sons to find the Proverbs 31 woman. Okay, you moms of girls, you know you're not off the hook, right? <laughs> 
Moms of girls, it of course goes without saying that you gotta help them master this list. You have to help them master this list. Don't shirk this responsibility. You're the only one who will do it. You're the only one who cares enough to do it, to be quite honest. Okay, here's some things you need to do with your girls, ladies. You need to squash the drama. <laughs> uh, you know, we think it's so funny when they're two and they got their tears or they're crying or they're whatever. It's not funny. Squash the drama. You don't want your, your sons marrying a girl like that. It's horrifying. The pouting, the crying, the cr slamming the door, the I won't talk to anybody because I'm soaking the corner, the drama, squash it. How? You role play, you discipline, you train, that's how. Okay, here's another thing we need to do besides squashing the drama. We need to squash the complaining. You got Miss N Negative Nelly? Knock her right out of it, right? <laughs> Stop the complaining and the grumbling. Does the pro do you think the Proverbs 31 woman was a whiner? No way. No way. Your daughters need moms that are ready to be strong and stop them from complaining. Okay, here's another one. You need to stop the self-promotion in their lives. And this happens so subtly when all they ever talk about is themselves. That's how you know it's all about self-promotion. Or they wait till every eye in the room is on them. <laughs> right? And then they do whatever their thing is. And they do it a hundred times when everyone's looking at them. That is self-promotion, ladies. And I know you think it's so cute, but it's laying down a pattern. It's laying down a rut and a bunch of grooves that that tire is going to go in every time. They won't be satisfied unless they get that applause or that praise. Squash the self-promotion. Here's another one. You need to be intolerant of grudge holding. Your daughters are going to be masters at this. Break them of the habit. Don't let them hold grudges. No grudges. We move on. We stop worrying about that little girl who said that thing. We just move on. Here's another one. Gossiping. You are going to stop your daughter from talking about other people behind their back. Don't let them do it. Oh, this one is horrible. And you're going to think it's really funny, but it's horrible. The whole I'm the boss attitude. I can boss everybody around because I know the right way to do this. I can boss my brother around. I can boss the other kids around. Well, she's such a born leader. Ooh. Uh, well, then that probably makes all of us born leaders. I mean, it's Eve's problem, right? We're way too dominant. And we're raising daughters that are way too dominant that have to be right and have to be in charge and everyone has to do what she says and get in line. Squash it. Don't let it live in your house. Here's some things you need to have her do. She has to do chores. She has to finish her homework first. She has to do everything from sweeping the floor to cleaning up dishes with excellence. There is no gooby gunk left on the plate when she's done with it. You need to require her to read her Bible. You need to make her come to church even when she doesn't want to. You didn't make her learn memory verses, Awana. If you don't have your kid in Awana, what is wrong with you? I'm sorry. <laughs> Did that actually come out of my mouth? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, actually I'm not, because your daughter's learning the word of God and she's hiding in her heart. And I had a conversation just with Debbie this last weekend here. We were talking about, she said to me, she can still say Psalm 23 because we learned it 
seven years ago at retreat. And she can say it to this day on a dime because she memorized it. You want that for your daughter. You also need to keep her from interrupting people. Because all that interruption is saying is, I'm the most important person in the room and you're not. You need to help her learn to wait her turn with grace. You even need to encourage her to eat things she doesn't prefer. <laughs> or do things she doesn't prefer. Because ladies, you're either shaping a Proverbs 31 woman or a Genesis 3 nightmare. And one takes effort and intentionality and the other one happens without you doing one thing. Who do you want walking out of your house someday? Someone who does whatever she wants or someone who pleases the Lord and submits to him? We gotta raise our kids for the Lord, boys and girls. <sighs> well, you didn't think you were gonna get off that easy, right? Whether you have girls or boys, you yourself have to be a woman that is worthy of them following you. You gotta be hard on yourself. You gotta start holding yourself accountable. If you don't have an accountability partner, why not? Because you're too afraid to tell someone that you haven't done your quiet time today? Well, I don't know. Put on your big girl pants and do it. <laughs> Just be bold. Hold yourself accountable. On very rare occasions will kids ever surpass the godliness of their parents. Some will. Some of you were raised by non-Christian parents, as was I. And I'm grateful that God plucked me out of that and saved me and is helping me pursue a Proverbs 31 life. But kids who were raised in Christian homes rarely surpass where their parents were. What a shame it would be if you didn't make the bar high enough for you or for them. You need to expect a lot from them and you need to expect a lot from yourself. From yourself, from your kids, from your grandkids, from your small group leaders, from your ministry partners, from your friends. You need to be a woman who spurs everybody else on to follow Christ more closely. You're either gonna be that, you're gonna be spurring them on to follow Christ more closely, or you're gonna be someone who helps them maintain the status quo, or God forbid that you would be someone that would help them think obeying Christ is just not that important. You're just a little too intense. You're gonna fall in one of three camps. Who do you wanna be? I hope you wanna be that girl, the one who spurs everyone around you to follow Christ. And I hope and pray that more than anything else, what we want for our daughters and our daughter-in-laws is that our sons and our grandkids will one day praise them like this passage does, because they're living this life, because they have submissive hearts and obedient lives. But we want every woman around us to wake up and do this, don't we? And we wanna be an influence for that in their lives. Mike likes to speak of a telegram, and he brings it up a lot of times at um, child dedications. The telegram was the one that D.L. Moody wrote when he found out he was having a granddaughter, but now I want you to think about it completely different with the Proverbs 31 woman in mind. The telegram said, may she be great in the kingdom of God. And that's a great reminder, of course, when we're dedicating our children, but I want you to remind yourself of how important that is when we think about valuing the right kind of attention. Surely none of us would look down on a daughter that wants to live her life for the approval of her father, right? Don't we want to be daughters 
that do that? Don't we want to raise daughters that do that, that are all about getting the approval of their father, that they would be great in God's kingdom because they're doing that right thing? Of course, we would want to encourage that in our daughters and our sisters and our friends to help them live a life that pleases their father so that one day they'll get his approval, right? Okay, I said I had two takeaways. You're like, I'm so glad because you were there a really long time. (laughs) (laughs) Two takeaways, right? But it would not be complete if we didn't get to verse 31 and our second takeaway of the day because verse 31 says to proactively give her, a Proverbs 31 kind of gal, the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. It's at this point we're going to have to change our perspective because God changes it here. And instead of thinking about becoming a woman who gets this kind of attention, I want you to think about being a woman who gives this kind of attention. And so point number two is going to be praise the godly in your life. Praise the godly in your life. It's at this point that I'm going to ask you to do something that I actually think is harder than everything we've done before, because before you could say, it's about me, I'll get my to-do list, I'll try to be like the Proverbs 31 woman, I can do it, I'll take a deep breath and walk into the refrigerated room, but now we have to do something harder, because now we have to turn our attention to other people, and we need to make sure that they get praised and admired for being Proverbs 31 women. It's our chance to see that everyone sees this Proverbs 31 gal and actually says, hey, she's doing a great job. She's living up to the list. We need to let everyone know she's doing that and to praise her in the gates and to be a conduit of that kind of praise. Talk about selfless. This is really selfless. To lift someone else up and make them look good. It says to give her the fruit of her hands. That means that she's going to enjoy the impact of what she's accomplished. We're going to point out her service. We're going to point out her obedience. We're going to make sure everybody knows about it. We're going to speak about her. We're going to add our voice to the pile talking about her. I know this is tough. We much prefer to check things off of our list about us. Um, Now we have to make someone else our focus? Yikes. It's going to take some work on our hearts, though, because we'll never learn to praise other people when we've got jealousy in our hearts, when we're coveting when we're comparing ourselves with other people. It's hard to celebrate who they are if we're just trying to keep track of who gets what here. Hmm. But in this passage, it says, God wants us to be the ones who head up a parade that celebrates someone else and not worry about who's planning one for us. Okay? And th- frankly, this is going to be tough because some of you know that girl's warts and wrinkles, and you know she's not all that godly. You know where she fails, you know the dirt on her, you know how imperfect she is, but you're still supposed to praise her. And uh, frankly, some of us enjoy um, having husbands and children who might actually admire us and might actually say it. But there are many women in this room, they don't have that. They're not going home to anybody who's going to say, good job, honey, or thank you, mom. Some of them are going home to, you could do better at that, or you never do this, 
And some of them are going home to absolutely nothing being said to them about anything they're trying to do to serve the Lord. And they need our help. They need to be honored and praised for the steps that they're taking. We need to get behind them. This is a really awkward passage because the most obvious application, it says the husbands and the children will praise this person. Well, I'm not speaking to men, nor will I ever be, except those two. <laughs> but um, I can't do the most logical application of this, which is, hey, men, praise your wives for this. I can't do that. All I can do is say, hey, ladies, praise other ladies for this. And with that in mind, we have something for you. All of our gals are bringing you something. You wondered when they all stood up. <laughs> They're bringing you something that are amazing graphics. And this is the middle of the message. Do not think we're done yet. <laughs> Um, they're bringing you something that our amazing graphics department at Compass Bible Church made just for you. They took Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. You get to only take one, sorry. Everybody gets one. If you took more than one, pass it down and put it at the end of the row on the floor. Someone will pick it up. Inside each one of these little packs, you're getting five note cards. Five note cards from this retreat to remind you <laughs> to praise a godly person in your life, a godly woman in your life, namely. And I have two that I want you to send out for me this week, okay? Write this down. Don't miss it. The first one, and I want you to actually pick up a pen and write it, and you're going to actually send this to the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> it's like getting a gift when you get a card that's handwritten. Here's what I want you to do. The first card that you write this week is going to be a woman, to a woman that you think, she's like, if I said, think of two Proverbs 31 women, she's like at the top of your list or whatever. One of those top three, pick some, one of those top three that you can think of that's a Proverbs 31 woman. I want you to be specific and I want you to tell her what she does that you see is a Proverbs 31 thing. I want you to compliment her by telling her specifically what she's doing from this passage. And then I want you to tell her how she inspires you to do better. Okay? That's your first card. Thank you, ladies. Your second card, I don't want you to do until you go home and you've actually done the, the quiet time questions that are in your book from this message sometime later this week. And I want you to write the second one. But here's how I want you to decide who gets that one, that present from you. During your time in the Word, as you're thinking about this message, I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to help you think of an unsung hero. An unsung hero in your life. Maybe even someone you know that isn't going home to a husband or children who will praise her. Maybe she doesn't do and hasn't perfectly mastered everything, but you've been inspired by her example in your life because she's trying to be the Proverbs 31 woman, even though all odds are against her. So your second one goes to an unsung hero. Both of them are Proverbs 31 women. You're going to be specific with both of them of how they've inspired you. You're going to be specific with both of them of how they're doing the Proverbs 31 things. Um, and you're going to send both of them with an address and a stamp this week. 
I don't have 25 to-dos like I had yesterday. I know you all can do this. Two cards. All right. The rest of them are for your discretion. They're a gift from Cups Bible Church. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So we're going to be at the head of the parade celebrating other women who do this. And... Um, the thing is, there's going to be a moment in that time when we might think, like I said earlier, who's heading up the parade for us? You know, some of you will get those presents, those cards this week, and you'll, it's a gift from the Lord for you, okay? But many of you won't. What's going to keep you going? Hopefully what's going to keep you going is that the Lord says he's going to praise you. And uh, there's a couple places I want to remind you of that talks about the reward we'll get from him. One of them is Revelation 22:12. Revelation 22:12 tells us that he is on his way right now, and he's bringing to you the rewards that you deserve. It's a promise. Revelation 22:12. Because you see, God sees everything you do. He's keeping track of everything, even if you take this message seriously and you praise the godly in your life. He sees what you're doing, he sees your heart, and he's keeping track. And he's coming, and he has his reward with him. Another one, probably one of my favorite verses, is Hebrews 6.10, has motivated me many a time to run into the costco refrigerated room. Because Hebrews 6.10 says, he knows what you've been up to, and he will not forget the love that you have shown to his people. Nothing escapes his notice. He's going to reward you. And his reward is waiting even if we gave them a cup of cold water, like Stephanie talked about last night. So get out there and praise the women who act like Proverbs 31 in your life. And you'll be pleasing the Lord at the same time. Paul is the one who told us that the Romans, the Romans, that their obedience was known to everyone. And in Acts, we looked at Tabitha last night, and her deeds were known to everyone. That's why the widows all came around and talked about her. Um, another place that it said that their deeds and their obedience is known to everyone is in 1 Timothy 5.10, when it says that the widows that should be supported by the church are those who have a good reputation for doing these good works. Christians and their deeds should be known to all, and we should be the one to help point out these righteous heroes. As I thought about this amazing and, okay, super intimidating passage, but amazing and super intimidating passage of Proverbs 31, I recognize that this is hard for you. And frankly, I'm sure I speak for Stephanie too. It, it, it was really hard for us. I mean, you, you got four hours of it. We got, I don't know how many hours, but I spent a ton of hours. It's rugged having Proverbs 31 put there in your heart. And it's rugged because, you know, you know the truth. And you know what you're supposed to do. And frankly, it's rugged for us because now there's a big magnifying glass up. And you're going, she said it. Is she doing it? <laughs> right? It's true. And of course, God says we're going to incur a stricter judgment. So I'm just going to tell you it's hard for all of us. We know how you feel right now. We know how you feel seeing all these things here. And then it hit me. Proverbs 31 is like the love-hate relationship that we all have with mirrors. Okay? When you were a baby and your mom chose to put a mirror in your crib, she didn't have to tell you what to do. Because all you wanted to do was look, right? You looked. 
You made funny faces. You moved your eyebrows up and down. You stuck your tongue out. When you got older and you're a little girl, you twirled. You did all kinds of things in front of the mirror, right? Because you loved the mirror. But then at some point, <laughs> things changed. And the mirror started having a different kind of power over you, frankly. Yes, you like to admire the things that you liked there. Wow, that looks good. My hair, I'm having a good hair day. <laughs> but then, way more than that, all the things started popping up that needed to be fixed, that were substandard in your minds. And all of a sudden, that mirror was a powerful tool in a completely different way. Um, you didn't really look for it for approval anymore. A lot of times, you just looked to it for what had to be adjusted. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. That object still has power over you right now. And I can prove it to you because if you walked by those mirrors right there, those windows right there, a lot of you did this, <laughs> right? Whether it's a mirror in someone's home, whether it's doors when you walk up to it when you came in here, whether it's the plate glass window of a hotel or a business, it makes you look, doesn't it? You see your reflection out of the corner of your eye and you're looking, made you look, right? Every mirror makes you look. And it makes you start fixing things. You brush your bangs aside. You pull your cami up. You pull your shirt down. You fix your skirt, right? Especially in the back. You turn your necklace around. You check your teeth. You try to take out stuff offensive in your teeth, <laughs> right? Whatever you do, it has power over you. And then, especially as you get older, you suck in your stomach, you throw back your shoulders, you elongate your neck as you look in your mirror, <laughs> right? You do all those things. That's how I want you to look at Proverbs 31 from now on. It's a mirror, and you're just going to make an adjustment here and there when you see it. I don't want this to be another set of messages that you just put on the shelf and you never remember again. This is a rare piece of scripture that's pointed just to you. Every single one in this room. Okay, except for the two guys, but all the rest of you. <laughs> this mirror, this picture here, and I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but I want you to think of this mirror even because this mirror has Proverbs 31 all around it. And when you look at the mirror, I want you to see how do I look? How do I look when I look at Proverbs 31? It doesn't matter what your bangs look like. It matters what that looks like. She's exceptional, yes, she is. But we can tackle her one stray hair at a time. And what you're going to find is if you fix one stray hair at a time, you're going to be less apt to need quite as many adjustments as you go along. If you just keep making these minimal adjustments, you're not going to be waking up with, you know, massive, you know, bedhead and mascara everywhere. If you've been making adjustments each time, it's going to be okay. I don't want you to look at it and be guilt-tripped or fidget or, you know, have the arm tied behind your back. Just make the little adjustment you see when you look at Proverbs 31. One thing at a time. One phrase at a time. You can do this. And if you do this, God is going to have that well done, good and faithful servant on the tip of his tongue when you walk in the door. But to remind you, I'm going to ask you to make one single, here's my other application, 
I want you to make one single post-it note, and this is what it's going to say. How do I look? How do I look? One single post-it note. And I want you to put this somewhere in your house on a mirror. I put P31 too because I thought a month from now I want, might want to go. <laughs> I have no idea why that's telling me how do I look. <laughs> so my little clue is P31. I guess if that's not enough, you'll have to call someone who was at this retreat and ask them. <laughs> but this is going to get old. You're going to see it on your bathroom mirror and in a couple days, you're never going to see it again. So I want you to take this and I want you to move it around your house. Surely you have other mirrors in your house. Put, them, put this someplace else, okay? When it gets old. How do I look when I see Proverbs 31, okay? And then someday, someday, because we want to praise godly people, because we want to be that person who makes them be more like Christ, someday, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, when you see this in your house, I want you to take a picture of it and post it on social media. Because I want you to encourage all the other women in this room to remember, how do I look? How do I look when I see Proverbs 31? You will be encouraging other people. I wondered how to leave you after this powerful passage. And I came across this poem um, that I thought summed up what I wanted to tell you. These are words I want you to listen to and I want you to be encouraged by as you take on this quest to be this exceptional woman slash wife slash mom slash ministry worker, okay, whatever. It is entitled, Continue On. It says, a woman once fretted, excuse me, a woman once fretted over the usefulness of her life. She feared she was wasting her potential being a devoted wife and mother. She wondered if the time and energy she invested in her husband and her children would make a difference. At times she got discouraged because so much of what she did seemed to go unnoticed and unappreciated. Is it worth it? She often wondered. Is there something better I could be doing with my time? It was during one of those moments of questioning that she heard the still, small voice of her heavenly father speak to her heart. You are a wife and a mother because that is what I called you to be. Much of what you do is hidden from the public eye, but I notice. Most of what you give is done without payment, but I am your reward. Your husband cannot be the man I've called him to be without your support. Your influence on him is greater than you think and more powerful than you will ever know. I will bless him through your service, and I will honor him through your love. Your children are precious to me, even more precious than they are to you. I have entrusted them to your care to raise for me. What you invest in them is an offering to me. You may never be in the public spotlight, but your obedience shines as a bright light before me. Continue on. Remember, you are my servant. Do all to please me. Let's pray.
God, I just want to thank you because you gave us this piece of scripture. So many women, even in this room, wander around and tell each other even and say to one another, I have no idea what God wants me to do. How will I ever know the will of God? What is God's will for my life? And this is it. There's no more questions to be asked. We now know what we're supposed to do. God, I pray, in particular, for the wives and the moms in this room. I know we're all women and we want to be godly women, but I know that our church's strength and foundation is built on um, if we're godly wives and moms and if we have strong men and families in our church. And the wives and moms here, in particular, need to take this to heart to make Compass Bible Church stronger than it's ever been before. And we won't apologize, God, for teaching about being wives and moms this weekend. That's what this passage is about. And God, I pray for those here who don't have husbands or children at this point, for whatever reason, that they would joyfully, joyfully pour their lives into those around them no matter who they are, children, adults, couples, they would pour their lives into them and that they would be the wives and moms cheerleaders in this room in ways that only they can do because they're women. I pray that they would be the wives and moms biggest cheerleaders and biggest prayer warriors because we can't do it without everybody. And God, I know there are so many things that we can apply from this weekend that have nothing to do with being wives and moms. And I pray we would all see that and we would all be committed to being obedient to you no matter what. You are worth this. This is your list. We will seek to do it no matter what we're going home to. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue on. I pray that you would help us see this and ask, how do I look? And I pray, Lord, that this would not end today, or even this week, but that you would shape and mold us one stray hair at a time until we see you and we get the praise and the reward and the rich welcome and the well done, good and faithful servant when we walk into your kingdom. Even though it's hard, we will be faithful, God. We're going to tell you that right now in our hearts. We will be faithful to this list until you come for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.